We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome to the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. Hello and welcome back to another Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. This is Mean Lean from ArsenalVision.co.uk. In today's show, Tim, Paul and Elliot will be discussing the uh, 1-0 victory at home to Newcastle. Safe to say it wasn't our best performance of the season. In fact, it was probably one of our worst. Uh, but we rolled the dice, our numbers come up and uh, we managed to um, scrape through a victory. Very important victory. But yeah, it's a bit concerning that our, our play looks very jaded at the moment and uh, we don't have much to rotate at this moment in time, hopefully that will change over the coming weeks. With the cup game coming up, we can refresh our squad somewhat. Good to hear also that some players are back in training. Rosicki, I miss Rosicki. Alexis, obviously, a, a big, big player for us. Back in the squad and hopefully we can add one at least to midfield and um, have a go again. So yeah, I won't dissect the performance. I'm going to hand you over to the guys and they can do just that. So um, enjoy the podcast and back off to the next game. Poor performance and excellent result leaves Doomy Podcaster confounded. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Elliot Smith, and you can block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. We are going to be talking about the masterpiece that was the 1-0 victory at home over Newcastle, leaving Arsenal top of the table. This is somewhat troubling for me, given that the performance was complete shit, the result was excellent, and now we lead the league. What the hell am I going to complain about? I will figure that out as I discuss it with my two uh, lovely guests here who are regulars. Tim, you can find him on Twitter at Stilberto. His name is Tim Stillman. You can read his excellent bloggings and thoughts and things on Ars blog, along with other places throughout the interwebs. Hello, Tim. Hello there. Good to talk to you. How are you doing? Yeah, yeah, good, good. Can't complain. Good weekend out. Good New Year's. 
Yeah, it wasn't bad. It wasn't bad. I'm, I'm getting a bit old for all that now, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, that that's you, so old, you're knocking things over in your house. Yeah. Okay, fair That'd enough. That'd be me, so old. Oh, all right. Well, there you go. All right, and the old the I... old man of the podcast, uh, <laughs> Paul, you can find him on Twitter at Posnin in My Pants. He also writes an excellent blog, occasionally. Occasionally. Um, Happy New Year, Paul. Thank you very much. I am currently mopping up coffee with a sock. So, yes, I'm the old guy in the podcast. So, are you, oh, hang Paul, on a sec. in your yeah. teenage years, you would have been mopping something else up with a sock. How the mighty have fallen. <laughs> <laughs> hey, how's your wife? <laughs> I don't know. Are you done giving her the six inches? <laughs> oh, no, boy. So anyway, can we start for a second? I want to yeah. clarify something. So you're telling me that Tim, like Stilberto, that's like Tim who writes the Arse blog thing. That's our Tim who's been on the podcast. That's the guy. And and you would know that if you ever listened to him because he plugs what he's writing for Arse <laughs> blog about seven times per pod. So we're looking forward to that, Tim. So here, here are the, if you want to know what each of our thing is, my thing is I moan and complain a lot. Paul's thing is he tells us that he watched the game six times. And Tim's Twice. thing is he gives us a preview of his Arse blog uh, um, article. So let's dive into it. Tim, what do you have coming up for Arse blog this week? No, I'm just kidding. Um, uh, okay. New he doesn't Castle know yet because we haven't like shot the shit yet. He's yeah, he's taking right. notes. I, I know, but I know it will come up as well. So, all right, hashtag banter. This is great. Let's move on. Um, so Tim, Ox got to start. Um, it was kind of a rarity. Uh, I guess maybe the manager looking to rotate a little bit, freshen things up. Um, see if Ox it could jumpstart Oxley Chamberlain's season, who's been a little sluggish. Otherwise, the rest looked pretty familiar. Flamini returned to defensive midfield, and it was a let's say, sluggish performance from Arsenal. When I looked at the lineup, I thought, oh, shit, we're going to be really vulnerable to the counterattack. Theo and Ox on the wings, Ramsey, Flamini in midfield. Were you a little bit worried when you saw the lineup that maybe it was too much uh, of an attacking intent that would leave us exposed at the back? Um, I, I don't think I was any more worried than normal. I was... Um... <laughs> Fair. <laughs> I was Everything's little... relative. <laughs> I was a little bit surprised to see Oxlade-Chamberlain and Walcott. I expected to see Joel Campbell play, and I thought I'd see Ox on the bench because I thought that perhaps against Sunderland you'd see Joel Campbell and Chamberlain on the wings. Um, but I just think at the moment, and this harks back to a discussion Paul and I had when Coquelin and Cazorla both first fell on their swords, as it were. Um, I think it was after the Sunderland game, and we both kind of came to the conclusion that for the next couple of months, Arsenal games are going to be like basketball, both within the framework of a 90 minutes itself and from game to game. You're going to have games where we're, we're really attacking and we look really good, and you're going to have games where we look vulnerable because basically, uh, i said this many, many times, we just don't have those players at the moment who control the tempo of a game. They're all out. Wilshire does that. Rosicki does that. Kazola does that. To an extent, Danny Welbeck does that. Mikel Arteta does that, they're all out. So what we've got is we've got all of these kind of front foot players um, that, you know, <clears throat> for want of a better expression, like to put the pedal to the metal. Um, and this is just what you're going to get from Arsenal, I think, until they get a couple of those players back who can put their foot on the ball, dictate the tempo of a game a little bit. We just don't have those players. So um, I think with any sort of personnel that we have at the moment, that that's just going to be a natural byproduct, and in games like this and Aston Villa, perhaps, well, we won't. I, I really didn't think we were great against Villa at all. Um, thankfully, mm -hmm. they're just awful. 
Um, Newcastle played a little bit above themselves, but um, I think they they also credit to them. They they kind of knew how to nullify us. Um, they played very narrow wingers, which was both about nullifying Ozil's movement and kind of um, dampening the effect of two very front foot wingers like Chamberlain and Walcott. And it was it was difficult for everybody. Um, and both of those both of our wide players suffered. Ozil suffered as well because he couldn't get on the ball in those wide areas that he likes to pick up. Um, and so, yeah, I, 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 I just expect this and, and I'll expect it in the next game and the next game after that until a couple of these guys come back. And really, we've just got to hope that, you know, teams like Newcastle and Villa, we will be able to get through, I think. But some of the games we've got coming up um, slightly concerning um, in that respect. So, I, I was slightly surprised to see Walcott and Chamberlain just because Joel Campbell's one of the few players who, although not top quality, does at least have that, you know, technical security. Um, but yeah, it was it was a difficult game, and it was um, it was ex- exactly as I called it. I, I said that I thought this would be a really hard fought one nil. And if you look around the Premier League, not just this year, but if you look every like New Year's Day, I appreciate it wasn't New Year's Day, but the day after, um, all the games in the Premier League are terrible on New Year's Day. And there's never many goals around. There's loads of mistakes. There were a few red cards as well um, around the games because this is the tail end of the Christmas period. Nobody has time to train. It's just all about recovery. Um, and so very few teams actually get to hatch game plans um, of any kind because there's just not enough of a gap between games. So, um, But also, I think you saw perhaps this weekend, you know, uh, Leicester didn't manage to win. City beat Watford, who've been going well. Chelsea destroyed Palace, who've been going well. Um, and, you know, a few of these, I don't want to be disparaging by calling them flavour of the month teams, but, you know, teams who've been playing above themselves recently they got caught out by some of the big boys because um at this stage of the schedule of the program um you know it's small margins that get you through and those bigger teams with better players usually make those margins work for them right yeah i I think that's fair and to be fair we we don't have a lot of players to to draw on but i think in the battle of fatigued squads our superior fatigue talent should have an edge. Um, I think we really saw that against Bournemouth, actually, even more than against Newcastle. Um, Paul, it was a case of the forwards not really getting much service and not really being able to build up from midfield. We were we played incredibly overloaded uh, on the wings, and at one point I tweeted that there was going to be no grass left on the right side of the pitch because we were attacking so much down their right flank in the first half. Um, how much do you think the the way we were attacking is down to the struggles we're having building up through midfield. Uh, I think, I think hugely. And I don't think, uh, you know, each game's maybe a bit different, but when the team overall is a bit tired and a bit lacking energy, um, you know, you can put it on the specific midfielders Mm -hmm. themselves, the midfield three, but midfield is really a collection of, you know, six, seven, eight players who all dip in and out from time to time. So it's a lot of the your your three midfielders. It's a lot of cohesion. It's a lot of energy. 
Uh, and when you get that mental tiredness, which we saw, you know, a, a tackle here and a tackle there, a challenge here and a challenge there that we look, that we start to lose, and a pass here that's sloppy, a pass there. Um, it doesn't take long before what you find out is you only have two guys in midfield and Ozil running around into space kind of thing. Your your midfield literally becomes those two guys. And uh, we saw a bit of that against Newcastle, which is unfortunate. You, your midfield really should be three, four, or five players at any one time, depending on the flow of the game. Well, that, that was what we were getting when we had Ramsey on the wing, is he was really creating yeah. an extra man midfield. Did, did you notice, now, I mean, there really is a reluctance to give Flamini the ball, and that's really reducing yeah. our out ball and our option. It is, and I think a little bit less so. I was expecting that when I watched it a second time, um, which, I saw a lot, which I saw a lot in the Southampton game. Actually, Flamini, you know, did he, was used a little bit and, and, and did his bit from a passing standpoint. So I thought that was going to be more the culprit. I don't think it really was. And even uh, to, to Ox's credit, he did a lot of playing from and through midfield. And, uh, you know... I, I, I noticed cri- that, yeah. Yeah, the criticisms of him, you know, I, I think they're fair, maybe a little overstatement stated, especially in this game and the last game. I thought he's actually been not too bad. You know, you can start well, well, to see shoots to that. that. Well, what, and, what did you think of his performance? Let's talk about Ox specifically because he, he came in for a lot yeah. of criticism after the match. Again, it's it's expectations. I thought he was pretty good. I mean, uh, he definitely did a few Oxlade Chamberlain things of runs up up cul de sacs and spilling the ball, and but he was tenacious. He he, he got stuck into the tackle. He had a an Ozil esque through ball to Giro. Remember the Ozil perfectly weighted through ball that we all raved about well, for the swiv- for the swiveling volley yeah and had Giroud done what he did previously and slotted it through the goalkeeper's oh, the, the legs oh the through ball sorry, sorry. yeah I the through ball else. sorry yeah mm-hmm. we'd probably have a different perspective on Oxley Chamberlain's performance so we should really blame Giroud for that um so i thought he was pretty Can good do. yeah <laughs> um, Can do. i mean i still expected and i think we would have probably done better with Campbell starting. I think when Campbell came on later on, we really saw, to me, there's a whole part of Campbell's brain devoted to interlinking play with the rest of the team, that cohesion thing, that isn't as natural for the Ox. I'd almost like to see, we don't have the time or the space to do this, but I'd almost like to see Oxlade-Chamberlain been forced to play as as that second midfielder just so that he gets out of that mode that he's locked into at the moment of, you know, trying to beat people one-on-one, which is, it's kind of hit or miss, and it's a little bit too hit at the a little too much miss at the moment. But I actually thought, relative to his overall arc this season, his last two games have been somewhat promising. Yeah, Um, I... I thought yeah. he struggled. I mean, the, the funny thing is I tweeted at one point, not to make this a summary of my game tweets, um, Ox dribbling greater than Ox doing anything else. Um, Tim, I mean, we saw some of that explosive drive that he can have with the ball at his feet and how he can dribble seemingly past just about anyone. The problem is when he doesn't, when it doesn't come off, he puts himself and his teammates in trouble, and he, he really doesn't seem to want to... Um, distribute the ball quickly. That's just not how he operates, and, and things tend to break down. What did you make of his performance, and do you think that 
there were there were signs there that maybe he should be brought back in, or or did he not help his cause? Um, I'll preface this by saying this is exactly what I'm writing about this week. I knew it'd come up. Oh, good. So now we we, we can t- hang on. Paul's second watching tick. Uh, Tim's Ars blog article tick. Okay. All I have to do is say something negative about Giroud, and we're set. And we're done. Okay. Um, I I I thought he. I I agree with Paul. I think he's been a bit better in the last two games. Um, the way I read it is that he's making a bit of a transition at the moment, in much the way that Ramsey did a couple of years ago. He's trying to become a slightly more tactically responsible player. And uh, what Paul was saying there about him coming back into midfield, um, I haven't quite started writing this piece yet, but I've looked at some bits and pieces. I tried to look at his kind of average position chart for this and uh, this game and the last one. It's actually it's slightly prejudice. It's slightly difficult to read into because he's played on the right and the left, so it's a little bit all over the place. Um, but looking at where he made a lot of his passes from, when he was on the right, he was coming in field a lot um, to kind of create that third man. So I think really what he's being asked to do and what he's trying to do is actually perform a passable impression of what Aaron Ramsey was doing. Um, and I think in the long term, those are strings that he's going to have to add to his bow. Because the thing is for Chamberlain, we all know about his kind of dribbling and how exciting he can be kind of pushing on a fullback and the rest of it. The problem is for him... While Alexis Sanchez is an Arsenal player, um, that, that role belongs to him. And you can't really afford to have another player that's kind of high risk, high reward, takes people on, sometimes loses it, sometimes gives it away. And I think there's been a bit of a, whether it's been a self-realisation from Chamberlain or whether it's come from, as a result of discussions with the coaching staff, but he's going to have to become a slightly different player and he's going to have to um, get a little bit of more of that kind of technical security because he he's not as good as Alexis Sanchez and so while he's doing what Sanchez does he's always going to be a backup he's always going to be a second choice and uh, the way I see it at the moment is he's trying to become that kind of tactically more mature player and and it's it's you know it's a slightly tough transition for him because it's not exactly his game um, at the moment and one one thing I haven't got round to looking up yet but fully intend to look up is I think his take-ons have gone down um, I don't think he does it as much um, recently and, and whether it's for that reason or whether you know I've just created a little kind of thread and run with it I'm not sure um, I'll try and look into it before I actually get around to writing the piece but yeah get back to us on that would you? <laughs> <laughs> but but it, I, I, I think he's been slightly better um, I think there is a bit of a feeding frenzy at the moment that he's become Kind of between him and Flamini, they've kind of become, you know, not quite the whipping boys. That's overstating it. Amen, brother. Amen. Because to an extent, it's deserved. He's definitely in a funk. He's definitely not playing well. There's no two ways about that. Can also, I just press pause just for one, just for one second? I just want to interject one thing. I'll, I'll let you keep going. But, yeah. I, you know, I think, you know, we, we do tend to see someone become a whipping boy and then the backlash against the people who are making them the whipping mm. boy. I mean, I do think it is natural that if the team struggles and there are players who seem to be chief among the strugglers, yeah. they're going to come in for the for the bulk of the criticism, especially yeah. if they have been struggling all season. So I don't think it helps to pile on, but I don't think it's unexpected that if a no. player is struggling, the, t- the focus is going to be on them. Moderation. Of course. Yeah, of course. And, and there is, like I said, there is absolutely no question that 
Chamberlain's having a tough season and he's not where he should be in his development um, and things like that. I also think at the moment, um, that because of what I said earlier, this lack of like controlling players, the team's probably not quite set up for him to be as good as he can be. Now, of course, brilliant players get past that anyway. Um, but if we had, you know, Kazola or Rosicki available, for example, and the team was a bit more balanced, we might we might see something better from him. I, I think effectively at the moment he's definitely a bit low on confidence and, and that might be uh, compromising some of his more kind of exciting play. Because we saw him pre-season, um, probably because Alexis wasn't there and he was able to be completely liberated and play the way he likes to play. And at the moment, the team demands something a little bit, a little bit different. His future probably demands something a little bit different, and he's just having a slightly tough time making that transition. But um, all this talk of like him going out on loan and stuff like that, I think, is just rubbish. <laughs> it's it's just everyone like Walcott's been through this. Giroud goes through this. Özil's been through it. You know, Walcott's been through it several times. Sometimes you've just got to play through it, and I think that's that's just got got to be the thing with the Ox mm-hmm. that he's just got to play play his way through it. And I, I do think he will, um, but it, obviously there are very legitimate concerns because in the summer, most of us, and I know I know what I was saying over the summer, and I'm not backtracking on it. I thought he was going to be um, a first choice player, uh, and he's obviously not. He's not close to that really at the moment. So. There are legis- legitimate concerns. I do think there are reasons for it, though. Yeah, I, I mean, look, the, the the other thing, I mean, the one thing I'll take issue with, not issue with, but but just point out is when you say Ozil's been through it or Giroud has been through it, you know, they have been first-choice regular players, and in Ozil's case, at the highest, highest level of the game for several seasons. I think the problem for Ox is he's never put together a regular run of being a regular first-choice player to show that he has that consistency in him. We're still projecting that he has that consistency, but we've never actually seen it. So while I'm not saying I think he'll go out on loan, I think the problem with Ox is, you know, when a player loses form or struggles, like a Giroud, for example, they can think back to a time when they put a real strong run together and were at the top of their game and say, I need to get back to that level. Ox doesn't have a reference point in his career yet where we can say there's a stretch of time where he influenced the game in a positive way regularly. Um, So I think it is going to be a challenge for him now because Campbell has proven that he can play that role effectively and maybe has moved ahead of him. And then as we start to get players back, I mean, giggle, but maybe we will. um, You know, I I think he gets pushed to the back of the line again, and and that's not going to help him develop either. So it is sort of a pivotal moment for him. Um, you know, we are a club that has a lot of patience with young players expecting them to break through. But I, I think if we're going to take the next step up as a club and we have all this money now, we're going to have to come to quicker decisions about some of our young players than we maybe did dur- during some of the poverty years. You know what I mean? And Where uh, youth was the best policy. If you look at someone like Kieran Gibbs, for example, who's completely stagnated mm-hmm. um, it, with the kind of um, level we're moving to or aspiring to, um, in this day and age, Kieran Gibbs doesn't survive for like six, seven years. And like Chamberlain doesn't want to go down the Kieran Gibbs route is, is basically what I'm saying, because um, we won't hold on to him for that long. You know, we'll, we'll upgrade the squad more aggressively, whereas Gibbs probably belongs slightly more to an era where we weren't able to do that. Although I, That's I exactly think, right. Exactly. So, yeah. 
Yeah, I, I think I think that's exactly my point. And and it's for you know it's in the best interest of the player too. Now, I mean, Paul, um, while we're talking about players that struggled, let's get on to Flamini just for a minute. Um, I, I know I know you're kind of a fan of Flam, not a fan of Flamini's, but but that you think that some of the criticism of him is unfair. And it's not particularly that I think Flamini is bad. I think just the way we play with Flamini in there is different. Okay, I want to give you an example against. Bournemouth at home. Aaron Ramsey, 86 touches. Okay? Mesodozel, 83 touches. Callum Chambers, 77 touches. Okay? So they were all roughly the same. There was an interaction among the midfield three, so to speak, and particularly the midfield two. Okay? Ozil played 61 passes. Ramsey, 70. Chambers, 58. Okay? So he was relatively right in there with the rest of them. Against Newcastle, okay? I know I'm throwing a lot of numbers here that no one's going to remember. But I'm following. Me. I'm following. Okay. Ramsey, 95 touches. Ozil, 82 touches. Flamini, 48 touches. Right? As far as passes, Ramsey, 76. Ozil, 61. Flamini, 32. What this tells me, and I could be using statistics wrong here, and that wouldn't surprise me in the slightest, but is that with Flamini in the lineup, he's being looked to less as an outlet, as an interchange option, as, a, as a, someone to help build up the play, and he is receiving the ball less and less involved in our possession play. And I think that's driving more of the movement to the wings. I think that's causing stagnation. I think it's making it easier to press us in, mid, in midfield. So I know you think Flamini is too often comes in for criticism, but is there an argument that this... Ramsey Flamini axis is something we have to either change up or change stylistically. Given given sort of what I've just showed you, do, do you see that that they're the, the he's not being offered as an option enough to to help his his fellow midfielders and wide forwards? Yeah, no, I agree with that. I, um, I'd more say that I think the criticisms of him as such are overstated. Not what you just said, but. You know the stuff I'm talking about. No, I get the, it. The, I mean, the I'm not rubbishing talking about of him his talent like he's here. the problem. Now, yeah, it, it the, just you know, look, we've changed our build-up play so yeah. much and the style so much. I'm just curious if, sure. if what Flamini is is creating for us is is a real challenge to because you look yeah. against City. I, let me just say this really quickly, and I know I'm I'm eating up your time here, so I'll you turn are. it over to you, but. You know, and Tim always makes this point as well. When you're going to sit deeper and defend in numbers, the personnel is a little bit less important because it's more about the organization than the talent. I actually think Flamini is a perfectly fine option with his leadership and experience when we're going to sit deeper and look to counter. But at home against weaker teams where the onus is going to be on us to build up and play through them, do you think we can be effective in, in those situations with Flamini? Only to a point. We're going to struggle against the better teams uh, or as we saw against Newcastle, we may struggle against the weaker teams when the I other guys so. yeah. w- when the when the other guys don't have the energy. If we'd had an ex- that extra five or ten percent, and we'd been running around and and joining all the dots, it wouldn't have looked like much of an issue against Newcastle. But against uh, South- Southampton, where they came out like it was the Champions League final on steroids, and they were all over us. 
you really saw the gaps getting stretched because we, and I think I said in that part, you could see specific times where Flamini was actually in the right places to receive a pass and he was avoided like the plague because of the pressure being put on our midfield. They just didn't trust giving him the ball for the pass. So it's definitely a limitation. Um, Chambers is obviously much more our idea of what a, uh, a DMing, midfielder would look like but we haven't seen him truly tested under fire in terms of his style and his approach yes he looks much more uh like he would fit the bill but we haven't seen him truly tested uh under pressure and maybe it's still a bit early for him we definitely need something better than the uh, flamini ramsey midfield if we're going to win the league confidently as we should in this year uh we should really be challenging in two two major competitions as as the the arsenal we should be cham- challenging for the premier league and the champions league um and that looks beyond us given our our squad our bench our fitness levels and our midfield at the moment uh, by a mile um and flamini ramsey is basically holding on till the ca- cavalry shows up and you know, maybe it's El Nenny or maybe it's uh, I've come on board this week, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome aboard. <laughs> I made the mistake of watching the Basel home and away uh, against, uh, who do they play? Oh, Porto. Uh, and that was not a showcase for El Nenny, I can tell you. So they obviously didn't pick him because of that that tie. But anyway, hopefully he's the answer because we need a lot more than what we have right there. But uh, I, I guess the difference is I already knew who Flamini was before we had before we had this other run that mm-hmm. we're going through now with Flamini. I have expectations. I want him to play up to his abilities to be professional, to be ready. That guy's been sitting on the bench watching other people play for months and months and months. And when the time came, he was fit, he was ready, he was committed. He's had two yellow cards in 11 games. We've won pretty much every game he's played. I know you can't put that down to him. He did go a little mad in the Newcastle game. I mean, he looked like he wanted he that yellow card pretty bad. He did, and, and that you know that's fair comment. He actually had two moments where he got his foot above his head in the game. But for Flamini, that's pretty good across. He's actually been pretty sane the other pretty much ten games, as I remembered. It also kind of goes with being a, D, a DM. I mean, they are slightly. They're the nutty guy. You know, they're the nutty guy in the kitchen staff. There's always one lunatic. But he's the guy who go down the stu- stuff his arm down the uh, like the garbage cleaner machine. So y- you need one of those. They always do something a bit wacky every now and then. So you know we got Paul's, all upset. Paul's analogy corner is brought to him. Yeah, we got all um, upset because once Coquelin rit- risked getting a red card. I mean, what DM worth his salt doesn't at one stage almost no, risk look, almost stepping over the line? So we had midfielders during the Invincible era that were always good for a, a red card or two. Um, I don't. I don't think that's an issue. I. Well, let me let me ask you this, Tim. And then, look, we're going to get onto the positives of the match. We'll talk about check. We'll talk about Koscielny's goal. We're going to talk a little bit about <clears throat> transfers and what's coming up, um, and and about being top of the table all within the next twenty five minutes or so. But you're Arsene Wenger, and you know you don't have to beat. Yeah, <laughs> I'm rich <laughs> <laughs> and ripped. <laughs> Y'all can fuck off. I'm done with this pod, bitches. <laughs> um, no, all right, so you're done sliding down that, that slide from your uh, 
uh, cruise ship and you're you're trying to fix the things that ail Arsenal and you're looking at it and you're saying, look, to win the league, I don't have to beat the Manchester Cities and the Manchester Uniteds of the world. It's nice to do it. But if I can amass a lot of points against the weaker sides, not that there are as many weak sides as usual this season, that's how you get to a title. Against the bigger sides, I think we've got a good formula right now. We sit a little deeper, we let them have the ball a little more, and we counterattack as well as anybody in the league. But we do look like we could struggle against the weaker teams when we have possession. So if you were Arsene Wenger, how do you fix the way we look in the games where we're going to dominate possession, where right now we don't look capable of imposing ourselves the way we always have been able to? Um, if I knew the answer to that. <laughs> um, I, with, with, the, uh, kind of, with the personnel we have available, I don't think there is any sort of easy answer to be honest i think that um, do you have to get ramsey back into that forward role to create more of a of a four-man midfield option when we're out of possession or uh, pardon me in possession maybe yeah i mean i think the thing is with the the flamini ramsey thing it's it's really quite dysfunctional they just don't suit each other and by the way ramsey is as bad a partner for flamini as vice versa Totally um, agree, yeah. And um, uh, Anam's written a really, really good piece uh, on the Ask Blog Tactics column thing um, tonight uh, that, that I'd really recommend reading. And he talks about how Ramsey breaks free from the structure a lot, and but his stamina is so good that he can afford to do it because he can come back in. Um, but what that does is it can create uncertainty, and particularly when you've got a player like Flamini is 31 and who isn't that athletic that can create problems and it can leave gaps and you know I don't think they're just really on the same wavelength with, with regards to what we do when teams let us have the ball um, at the moment I think it's just a case of what we're doing I mean we've got we've got plenty of firepower there's there's goals there um, in those players and I think you look at um, you know when we went to Olympiacos and when we played Villa you know, we were we were fairly open in both games, and I think that there was just a decision made that look, if this if this is a shootout, we'll win it. Um, and I think maybe that that decision was made against Newcastle as well. It's just they lacked the energy maybe to to really really pull that off. Mm. Um, really, it's it's with this existing group of players, I don't think there's anything that we can really do short of them becoming slightly different players somehow, which, as, <laughs> as, as I discussed earlier, you know, that's what I think Oxlade-Chamberlain's trying to do, and it's causing problems, and that would probably unsettle the team even more anyway. So I, I honestly, I think it's just until we can get a couple of players back, it's just a case of trying to get through it. And I think it's very telling how quickly um, this Elneny move um, at least from our point of view, um, obviously there's red tape to negotiate yet, but it's very telling how quickly they've got this done because um, Arsene Wenger realises that, as, from what little I know about the player, that he looks like a slightly more cultured, kind of um, good with the ball, with possession type of player. Um, and I think he just realises that he needs more presence like that so desperately um, but yeah. it just has to get there as quickly as possible because, you know, and I know he's talking up this week, the prospect of Cazorla being back in mid-February and, you know, I don't know if that's just wishful thinking <laughs> or whether, you know, whether that's genuinely true. But Wishful it, thinking. It, yeah, yeah. With, with the players we've got, 
I, I, I just don't have any different suggestions other than yeah. keep putting the pedal to the metal and hope it <laughs> hope it's good enough to beat Sunderland. Um, Liverpool, I think, is going to be a really tough game, as is Stoke. Um, I, I Any think... team that presses us in midfield right yeah. now is going to be a real challenge. You pointed that out last pod. And you, you know, I think it's interesting. If you look at Ramsey, when he paired in midfield with Arteta the, on the occasions that they did that during Arte, Arteta's heyday, you would have said Arteta was nominally the defensive midfielder then, but he would routinely have the most touches and the most passes in the side. Now you have a guy playing that position partnered with Ramsey who has among the fewest touches and fewest passes, and I just don't think they suit each other, to your point. Um, you know, I think you can also point to the forwards who are not really possession-oriented. I mean, Theo wants to run. Ox wants to run. Giroud really struggled, struggling right now to get involved from open play. And there were a lot of times, I mean, you see it with Koscielny. Koscielny will get the ball, look up, and there's no one in front of him. And so he just carries it into the opposition half, which is not something we used to see him do. And he's doing it right now because he literally doesn't have anyone to give it to. He doesn't have that Santi Cazorla, um, which, which is really missing. Uh, but, but let's get on to the stuff to be positive about, and one of them is uh, agreeing with John Terry. This is the section of the Ars, uh, Arsenal Vision post-match podcast we call Agreeing with John Terry. Um, I assure you, it's a one-time segment. Uh, Paul, John Terry said that check could be worth whatever. He said 12, 15 points to us, and everybody laughed it off. It's really starting to look like he could be worth that many points. How important was he in the Newcastle game? Uh, well, it was pretty huge. I mean, <laughs> um he does he does things that when I look at the save, I think, well, yeah, he was always going to stop that. Um, but then that just means I've gotten used to it being check in goal because he's just so bloody solid. I mean, he comes out, he does everything right, he narrows the angles, he stays big, he makes the... What I, the moments I really love with him are the one-on-ones. He's only had a few, truly a few classic one-on-ones, but that player realizes he's up against Czech and Czech makes him beat him. And, you know, he doesn't do anything. He doesn't go early. He doesn't make a decision for the player. Uh, and just game after game, he's solid, calm. You know, uh, uh, for all our talk about our limitations in, term of te- in terms of teams, uh, team selections, our back defensive unit that back five has been something we could rely on this year, all year so far. Uh, and we have some depth there. Uh, whatever happens with Debussy in the window is another matter. But we, right. you know, there, there's one whole area of the pitch that has made the Flamini issue. I mean, the, the who's our new DM? Uh, that whole issue is actually a manageable problem so far because our defense has been relatively very stable, strong, cohesive. And this is a team that often wants to play with a high line, uh, with the center back, one, one of whom is not very fast at all. And yet, I have no idea who you're talking about. Yes, I know, I know. I'm not, I'm not going to name names in this show. <laughs> but somehow, uh, you know, we've one of the best defenses in the league. And at the end of the day, uh, credit across all of our defenders, but I mean, check. You can just see he's he's the guy who sets the tone. It used to be Per, and I think that's a really strong axis still. And I think Per obviously calls the shots in the back four, but in the back five, you've got to say it's probably check. Yeah, and I think he brings better performances out of everybody. Certainly on set pieces, I think as well, where 
they feel a lot more confident, you know, being organized by him. Um, Tim, he he's bailing us out. I mean, to what extent do you think we're kind of getting away with it right now because of Czech's quality? Yeah, yeah, a little bit, a little bit. Uh, he's he's made some, and you know his. It it just reminds me of David Seaman again, you know, like his his appreciation of angles, his appreciation of the flight of the ball as well is exceptional. Not just in one on ones where you know, as Paul alluded to, he doesn't go down, he doesn't, you know, he he kind of stays at a, a crouched height and makes himself big and makes himself long. He really knows how to use his frame. But even if you watch him on long shots, he he dives fairly late, and that's because he always wants to get the flight of the ball and um. He's, he's technically a superb goalkeeper. I think he's really enjoying himself, actually, as well. Because mm. um, you know, being dropped by Chelsea for that year, that that must have that must have stung. And it wasn't really his fault. It was just they had they've got a world class young goalkeeper who wanted to play, and they were forced into the decision. But it must have stung his confidence a bit. And I, I think he's really enjoying it at Arsenal and really relishing this challenge. Um, I think there is an element. Yes, yes, of course, he's like. You know he's he's bailed us out a bit, but then I always think this is weird with goalkeepers. You know when you buy a striker, and I was just going to say this. I was just going to say no this. one says, "Oh, the striker's bailing us out." You go, "Well, yeah, that's why we spent thirty million on a striker to do that." Yeah, he's it's one like, of the players. He counts. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's why we spent the money on Petr Cech. You know, it's just it's not like a, a fantastic act of felicity that we bought this really good goalkeeper and he's making loads of saves any more than it would have been. You know, if we'd have bought a defensive midfielder who is then coming in and you know transforming the way we play, that's that's just that's his job, and he happens to be very good at it, which is why we paid him a lot of money to do it. Um, when when the keeper plays well, people almost use that as a discrediting argument against exactly. you. But my argument is just like yours. I mean, if your keeper plays well, that's a player you brought in who's helping you win, exactly. right? I mean, it's one of the eleven p- players you put on the pitch. Exactly. I, I don't see us getting any uh, sympathy titles for when we played with Almunia. You know? <laughs> no, 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 exactly. That's, you know, that's, that's why you want a world-class goalkeeper because he does that. Um, and, and yeah, there, there is, you know, he's, he's, he's just been huge for us and particularly, you know, in games like that where it's really, really tight and you look at some of the difference differences he's made, you know, Gomez goes through one-on-one against Swansea when it's nil-nil. If that goes in, it's a completely different game. And again, he kind of kids him out of it. Um, against Bayern, he made a really, really similar save to the one we saw um, from, uh, was it Mitrovic? Or was it someone else who went through one? No, it was Wijnaldum, wasn't it? Who went through. And it's, it was an identical save to one he made in the Bayern Munich game where he just comes out and closes the angle and makes the exact same save. And, and you know, strikers tend to just have to hit the ball in because he's so big and because he doesn't, make a decision um you know it's no it's no surprise that these finishes all look very tame because he doesn't leave them much choice um and and really he you know i'm I'm desperate for him to be the difference that you know turns us into a league title winning team um just because certainly looks it so far (laughs) i i I just find it hilarious quite frankly (laughs) that we got him from chelsea yeah, yeah, and also you know this we didn't we didn't sign an outfield player, and it would be wonderful if the goalkeeper proved to be the difference. But he's he's certainly he's winning us points on a regular basis um, at the moment. I think he inspires so much confidence in those players uh, in front of him. I think he's become part of the team very quick. He he seems like 
you know, even even at Chelsea, the cradle of filth, as it were, he always came across as a nice guy, uh, very amenable, gets on with everyone. I don't know if you read that interview in the week where he's talking about the, you know, four or five different languages he communicates with everybody in. Yeah, that and, was um, funny. Yeah, <laughs> Spe- yeah. Speaks to Per in, uh, in English, Koscielny in French. French and, and the fullbacks in uh, Spanish. Fullbacks but, in Spanish. <laughs> but he, he made it clear that he only does that when it's like a one-word command, you know, because if it's like man on, you know, when you speak another language, it doesn't matter how fluent you are, it still takes a second to process. Whereas if you say it in the native language, you know, it just rids that split second, and it's 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 very intelligent of him to understand that and be able to utilize that. And it's you know, it's he's really added something to our squad, I think, on and yeah. off the pitch in such a huge way. Well, well, Paul. So, all right. I mean, Tim and I were actually two of the rare people that that rated Chesney pretty highly, and and even to the bitter end, I think we were kind of in his corner. But he really made his his position untenable through his off the pitch antics as much as what he did on the pitch. Um, but is the Czech signing kind of the mold, the paradigm for what we should be doing generally? We had a talented player in Ospina, who was in his prime. We had a talented young player in Chesney, who we had brought through the club. But we still identified that there was a better player, a world-class player, who was gettable. And we prioritized him over both those other two because it can improve the team. I mean... Incremental improvements at every position make a big difference. Is is the check move symptomatic of something we maybe needed to be doing more at other positions? Yeah, I mean, I think this one's a bit different. I think had Chesney been a more stable, mature personality, uh, it might have this might have gone down differently. Um, well, if I had you know wings or my aunt had you know you know <laughs> testicles, yeah. She'd yeah. be my uncle. She'd be your uncle. And she'd um, have a reality TV show of her own. Yeah. But I do think – so, you know, I was a bit of, Sh- of a Chesney fan too um, in terms of his abilities. But his mental stability, which I can't think of a pl- position on the pitch where that is more important because it not only impacts your job but – the four or five people standing in front of you and beyond. And, you know, you can be crazy, but if you're going to be crazy, you better be crazy like Jens Lehmann. There's not many people who can do crazy well. Um, And Chesney just, he needs to go and work that stuff out somewhere, but I don't know how fixable that is. You know, Czech didn't have a crazy decade uh, but, but again, Paul, crazy I mean, the, the fact remains, we had viable alternatives at goalkeeper. One who was, you know, an, an international for Colombia, and one who is a, a young player that's been brought through the club. And we sure. put someone well, ahead of them I, I because think he was point, available and he was world class. I think your point stands fully with the Ospina versus Czech decision. Uh, you yeah. do that because he's a serious upgrade. I think you do the Chesney versus Czech thing because you have serious doubts uh, about Chesney's stability and contribution to the team mentally. And I don't just mean because he had a bad year uh, Well, I think I think this reckoning front. is coming, though, right? I mean, because you have players like Ox, you know, who may have performance-related issues, not yeah, those kind and of that's really what I, yeah, or, that, or Wilshire, or, you know, all of those players who we may need inc- incremental improvements in those places to reach the kind of heights you were talking about earlier. Uh, gr- I think that's a great point and well made, but it shows where we diverge. 
had Chesney been stable, I don't think we would have got Czech. I differ. I diverge a little bit from yourself and Tim in the conversation on Oxlade Chamberlain, uh, in the sense that I don't think our the water level has reached a point where we would be remotely close to thinking that uh, Oxlade Chamberlain needs to do something radically different than the progression curve he's on, which I uh, I don't disagree with your criticisms of where he is at the moment, but I, I don't think anything's changed for Oxlade Chamberlain. He's a okay. long-term player in our figuring uh, regardless. I think probably Gibbs is too. I think, uh, again, I, I feel a little bit of a different valuation than uh, when I hear you guys discussing Gibbs, which is fine. Um, I, I still think he has uh, a higher ceiling and he'll get his chance when Montreal comes, but I definitely see a difference between, say, his case and Oxlade-Chamberlain. I think we'd all see that Oxlade-Chamberlain potentially has a really high ceiling. Um, it's a question of kind of ha- ha- what level of patience. I think we've got a lot of patience for Oxlade-Chamberlain going forward. I don't think things have changed as much as this kind of the water has risen to a level where, you know, no, it's going to be I over the heads that. of these guys. I, just I, think, I think it's know, an overstatement. I think Czech is a special case and doubly special because it was Chesney. And had Chesney got his shit together, pro- might not have happened, which might have been an actual shame. It's not – I see the merits of having Czech and having got Czech, you, you'd never want to not have him. It's like, you know, who would undo this situation? Not me. No, I get it. I, I think it's, you know, you look at it and you say, what if a, a Marco Royce was available or an Edison Cavani was going to come in, but it meant shifting Oxlade Chamberlain or so, you know, it's, and I, I get that that's a little different because you're talking about marquee, marquee kind of players who are, you know, top 10, top 20 kind of players in the world. Sure. But at some level, you know, that's kind of where we went with Czech. Um, let's get to one other thing about the game that I think is important. Obviously, Koscielny getting the goal is great. And, you know, if you're going to win a title, you need more than just your striker or the occasional wide forward chipping in with goals. We were worried we might be goal shy. And in the last couple of games, Gabrielle stepped forward with one and Koscielny stepped forward with one. But then there was the end state of the game. And Tim, you know, one of the things that I think I've really been looking for, and a lot of us have, is the sign that the old frail mentality of Arsenal is gone. And it's been replaced by a champion's medal, a, a, a intelligence and resolve that could lead to a title. One of the things that worried me at the end of the Newcastle game was the complete lack of awareness of the game situation. How frustrating was it for you watching us quickly take free kicks and try to pile on for a second goal as the minutes were ticking down when we really could have just killed the game off and made it easy? Um, A little bit. I I think it was a little bit of a symptom of fatigue as well. So, for example... I remember exactly what you mean when we had a free kick, I think in about the 89th minute. And Ozil, yeah, they raced up to take it quickly. And <laughs> what are you thinking? Ozil, of all people, walloped it out of play. Um, and to me, if Mesut Ozil's radar is off from a set piece that's you know aimed at an individual, then I think there's probably something else there, probably a bit too much Fair lactic enough. acid um, in the legs. Um, I, I thought I thought we managed the last few minutes uh, reasonably well, actually. I think I get frustrated often in that scenario that Arsenal drop too deep and um, invite teams on too much. 
And actually, the thing that frustrated me, and we've done it a few times recently, so there must be a reason behind it, is I can't see the sense in taking off Giroud for the last two minutes when you're one nil yeah. up, because I think that defensively he's such a valuable weapon. And you I can don't just ping it long to him, and he can it, bring exactly, it down. Yeah. You just relieve the pressure, um, and we've done that a couple of times, and I kind of wonder why that is. I, I think really as well, um, Ramsey, and I think this is instruction. I I was on this pub podcast after, um, I think it's the Man City game, and I expressed a little bit of frustration with Ramsey bursting forward in the last 10 minutes, and I accused him of maybe thinking the game was won. Um, straight after that, I watched Adrian Clark's breakdown, and actually he had a much different spin on it. He said that this is a, a, a regular feature of Ramsey's game, where he kind of holds back, because his energy levels are so much higher than everyone else, that actually for the last 15 minutes, he really does kind of go for it. Um, and, you know, he, he, he did that on this occasion as well. He had that kind of wonderful chance at the end where... Um, where he, he does, should have passed it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and he does everything so well. And I'm not just talking about the dribble in the box because originally he passes the ball wide to Ozil from the centre circle and Ozil's all on his own, which you can understand in the last minute when you won the up. But then Ramsey can see there's no one else around. Joel Campbell has dropped right back. Um, at this point and it's Ramsey that runs on and actually gives him the option for the pass and gives him somewhere to go otherwise I'm sure Ozil would have just you know had like no choice but to go in the corner and probably concede a throw so he does everything brilliantly and that's where his his energy is so valuable and it's so nearly bought us a goal and yes he should have passed it I, I understand why he took the shot on but he definitely should have passed it. Are you it. concerned at all Tim? Like I mean with Ramsey he's he's gotten into a lot of good positions the last few games since he switched to midfield but his end product has really been missing. I mean how worried are you about Ramsey's final ball right now? It just seems totally off whether it's the pass or the shot at the end of a move he's not he's not making the right decision or the right contact. Yeah, I, I, I'm not that worried. I, I think it's probably a little bit of a symptom of him desperate to prove himself as a central midfielder. And I thought we used to see this with Theo Walcott up front um, in his first few games there. I think it was just so desperate that he'd always take the shot on and things like that. And actually, he rounded his game off. The thing is with Ramsey is um, he's, sometimes his radar just goes off um, and then sometimes it's on. And the thing is with Ramsey, he's quite a streaky goal scorer. Um, in that once one goes in, several go in. Um, and he, yeah, he has missed quite a few fairly presentable chances, but much like Walcott, I don't worry about that much with Ramsey because I've just got no doubt he'll keep getting in those positions. He won't let it affect him. And he's definitely got form for scoring. Um, you know, what you were talking about earlier about having something to draw on um, that perhaps Chamberlain doesn't quite have yet. Ramsey definitely has. You know, he has several kind of runs of scoring and making lots of goals and, and things like that. So as long as he keeps trying to make things happen, that will, that will be fine. Um, whether he should just rein it in a bit, bit for the last five minutes when we're a goal up, um, you know, uh, I, I don't know what the manager's saying to him there. Maybe the manager's just completely encouraging him to try and go and get the second goal. But it's, it's Ramsey in a nutshell, really. It's kind of high risk high reward that's what he's all about and I think that's probably what he's always going to be about I think uh, for me Ramsey is 
one of the most difficult players to evaluate in the squad because he had so much in every part of the pitch with his energy and his running and he can track back he can he can get in the final third and make intelligent runs and he has that technical ability to play little flicks and back heels and tricks when he pulls them off it just seems that like when when it's not quite clicking for him it's so frustrating because you see the player who you know the final ball he had found two seasons ago when for half a season he looked like the best player in the world you see him on the brink of that that player is in there you know there's some players like oxley chamberlain you see the talent in there but it's just not shining through i think ramsey is is frustrating because he feels just a whisper away from really unleashing that quality that we saw a couple seasons ago and what a difference that would make you know um, it's not that he's been bad. It's that if he could if he could get to that level with his final ball that he had reached, we'd be a totally different proposition. Um, Paul, question for you. So we kind of got it done, right? We beat Newcastle, bad performance. We beat Bournemouth, three quarters of bad performance. We got shellacked by Southampton, a terrible performance. We beat Man City, great performance. But like we made it through the the festive period well enough, enough points. We're top of the league. Um it doesn't get easy from here. It's Liverpool away, Stoke away, Chelsea, Southampton, Bournemouth away, Leicester, United away, Swansea, Spurs away, West Brom, Everton away. I mean, right up until April, it's tough. It's unrelenting. And there'll be FA Cups and a couple of matches with some team from Spain uh, mixed in there. So my question for you, based on what you've seen recently, the fact that we've struggled but gotten the points a good sign that we're now well positioned or a worrying sign that if we keep playing this way, the fixtures coming up are going to be a rude awakening. Uh, Gosh, that was a bit depressing. Uh. Well, well, I mean, we, you know, look, we're top of the league. The goal now is to finish strong, but I think we can agree at least off the last three fixtures. And admittedly it's, it's a busy period. So you can understand a little bit. I think you'd have to say the performances have not been great, but we got the results to the extent we needed to. So is that a sign that we're, you know, it's, champions win when they're playing poorly or is it a worry that now if we don't turn around that form we're going to get our asses handed to us with a run of very tough fixtures well i was only saying it was depressing because you just the fixtures yeah because you just (laughs) told it how it is i mean that's that's what's around the corner that's that next stretch we're coming through and and i don't think we know because this is a different look arsenal uh it's a different look midfield and that's where the big question is i think defensively we're in good shape, and that's that's going to be a big part of this next few months. Um, and I think off- offensively we're in good shape. It's whether we can pull enough together in that midfield to be effective. Um, and it depends on when players come back. So the manager's got some big decisions in this window of one player or two who can have an impact in this squad because we certainly don't have enough when you look at that fixture list coming up. And that's assuming... No more catastrophic injuries to a key player, God forbid, which it looks like we get one a month at the moment, I guess, if you were to average it out. So, you know, Agatha Christie, who's next? So, (laughs) um, you know, who knows? I mean, this is it's very much. I mean, what do you see? Look in your crystal ball um, or your crystal dog. (laughs) You know, tell me, do you do you see us struggling as the fixtures get harder based on what you've just seen happen, or do you think the fact that we maintained at the top of the pile through a very hectic period, despite performing poorly is a sign of the resolve that is going to carry us through. I mean, what, what do you see? 
I see both. I think we're going to – if this was what we had going forward, I think we're going to struggle more than we kind of rise to the top because we just – we don't have enough in the engine room there. We just don't. And teams will target that. And teams who press will target that. And we're going to feel a, a lot of pressure going away from home against big teams and the better teams. I think we'll really struggle. Um, yeah. Uh, and it's hard, you know. We were a bit tired over the Christmas period, but everybody was. Um, so you can allow a little bit for in our performances, but we need something beyond what we have. Either a miraculous arrival of Callum Chambers in the midfield, able to handle that pressure, or a signing or two that comes in, or Santi Cazorla coming back in February, and we've held on miraculously through a number of results. But uh, it's going to be too much for us. If this is what we've got going into that fixture list, uh, I think we'll be found out. I, I think we'll do okay. We may be. Yeah, just no one, a, no one's saying we're going to finish. You know, yeah. mid table. I just think I, I agree. We with might you start by the to way. fall a number of a few points off the pace, and have to. But we, you know, to, if we got the players back in February, March, and they got back with us quickly, and we started really motoring, it wouldn't mean all was lost. But we'd be putting ourselves in a much harder position position than we need to be this is going to be a really tough couple of months you know uh, godspeed El Nenny and somebody else please um, yeah it's 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 a really tough position for El Nenny in a way because he's a, he's you know he's not a 50 million pound signing from Madrid he's a 5 million pound signing from Basel who's now being expected to sort of r- be our savior in midfield for a title run in so no pressure um <laughs> tim tim what about you i mean what do we need to have change to survive a very very difficult run to a title um yeah we need uh presuming El Nenny goes through okay we need him to hit the ground running um positives for him he's had a winter break and he's won three league title the last the league title the last three seasons in switzerland that was a mouthful so he's at least got some semblance of that experience. He's, he's um, a big cheese in Switzerland. Hey. I don't get it. <laughs> <laughs> There's no holes in his game. All right, shut up, Paul. Still don't Never mind. It. I'll go away. And uh, uh, cheesy jokes. Um, and we, we, For God's sakes. We probably do need, yeah, someone like Callum Chambers to step up. The thing I'm really looking at um, for the next, certainly the rest of January is I'm looking at Alexis Sanchez coming back healthy, reinvigorated, and just giving us a little bit of extra spark, and then maybe we can start to rotate Giroud and Walcott up front and keep that nice and fresh again. Um, and, you know, there's so much pressure on Neza Erzal at the moment, and mm-hmm. he's handling it mm-hmm. wonderfully, but, you know, he's tired as well. He's barely training, and we, we need his amigo, Alexis because, um, you know, we kind of we got through the Newcastle game for, with a goal from a set piece. And by the way, that's a wonderful thing we've added to our game this season. We're, we're a threat from set pieces again. Um, but when you need that something special, someone like Alexis is, is invaluable. And uh, I'm really hoping that that that's, you know, that gets us through at least the next month, which I think is a really, really challenging month coming up. Um, and then, you know, yeah, maybe a second player in the window, whether that's a forward or another midfielder or a wide forward. Um, I, I think that if we can get that person, and Wenger seems to be 
you know, he seems to be hinting at it quite broadly. You know, he's saying at least one, and it looks like one is pretty much as far as it's in our hands in the bag. So I think they one, definitely... One is at least one. Well, yeah. <laughs> it's <laughs> true, but with it, it looks like El Nenny, as, as far as, you know, as far as we're concerned, we've done everything we can on that, and it's probably in the home office's hands. So now we've got the whole window, basically, to to try and look for somebody else, and perhaps with a little less pressure, with with one player in, um, and you know, just get another kind of body to to reinvigorate um, the team a little bit, bring it a little bit more balance. Um, but I, I think it's going to be a really tough few weeks. I mean, if we could take four points from Liverpool and Stoke, I would be so happy with that. I'd be so enthused as well. Um, I think I'd really start to believe if we got, you know, four points out of that lot, because those are going to be two very tough games coming very, very quickly against yes. teams that play in a manner that we don't really like. And that at the moment, I don't think we're really set up for. So, um, you know, I think it's going to be difficult, but nevertheless, I, I think it's a really positive sign that we can pull, you know, we can pull three points out of the bag from nowhere, from a set piece, from Ozil doing something, and we're going to need that probably a few more times in the next couple of months. Yeah, and a, li- a little Giroud love off that set piece. I mean, he won two yes. headers, the second of which was crucial. Um, And and I think, you know, not to get into a big Giroud discussion, but he actually had one of his better games. That was one game where he did actually do quite a lot for us to hold it together Um, and had a few moments. So he did have one of his infuriating flicks to no one when he could have turned in the box and taken on an opportunity. I mean, I know he had just pulled one off against Bournemouth for a wonder goal, but I just love to see him have that striker's instinct sometimes that when the ball comes to him inside the box, back to goal, fuck this, I'm turning this into a shooting opportunity. Just just occasionally. I had to get that off my chest. All right, so wait, wait. Paul's second watching, tick. Tim's blog preview, tick. (laughs) Elliot's Giroud frustration criticism corner tick. Okay, we can I wrap up the pod. I set you up with the set piece there, Elliot. Yeah, now we're complete. We can leave it. I'll tell you what. Look, we bought Mesut Ozil and Alexis Sanchez to be difference makers. We spent the big money on those players. And if Ozil can stay in this form through the rest of the season and Alexis can come back in the kind of form he was in last season, that's how you win a title. Great players playing greatly. Um, let's leave it at that. We have, what, Sunderland in the Cup? A game that yeah. arguably both clubs will be anxious to blow off and be done with. Um, I think it could be very interesting. You could have two two teams trying to compete with each other for who cares less about that fixture in terms of really heavy rotation for the squad. Not that we have that many options. I don't think Allardyce will care much about it either. Um, but we, as podcasters and dedicated loyal professionals, will be caring about that match and discussing it in detail with Paul. You can find him on Twitter at Poznan in my pants. Thank you, Paul. Pleasure. I think uh, I think you're exactly right. Except once the whistle blows for the start of that game, then we'll give a shit. So anyway, but you're right. We shall see. And uh, we will hopefully be discussing it with Tim as well. You can find him on Twitter at Stoberto and read his upcoming blog on Alex Oxley Chamberlain. Thank you, Tim. Thank you. Um, out Thursday. Out Thursday. Out Thursday. Uh, it's coming out Thursday. Apparently. Um, my name is Elliot Smith. You should be blocking me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. Uh, you know what we're going to do, by the way? The timing of these pods has been difficult with the holidays and all that stuff. We'll get back to asking for listener questions. So, Mom, don't worry. I'll get your question in next time. Um, 
But we'll go back to doing that and back to actually using them. So sorry about that. Uh, if you can, leave us a review on iTunes or anywhere else they allow reviews for podcasts. And as always, the tactic is give us five stars, then write all the nasty shit in the comments so everybody wins. Um, thanks for listening. We'll be back after the FA Cup uh, against Sunderland. Cheers. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.